You may be seated. A reading from Paul's letter to the Ephesian church, chapter three. Surely you have heard about the administration of God's grace that was given to me for you. That is the mystery made known to me by revelation. As I have already written briefly, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. This mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise of Christ Jesus. His intent was that now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and confidence. Well, good morning, everybody. My name is Nathan, and I'm so glad you chose to be here today. Uh, when I was 17 years old, I was giving a ride to a good friend of mine that we'd been friends since about uh, seventh grade. And I mean, we were pretty good friends. We had done parties together. We had done birthday parties at each other's house. We had shared meals and laughter. We actually were a part of the same worship team here at the church. And I was giving him a ride home one day from band practice, and he and another one of our friends I was giving a ride home, they're in the back, and they're kind of joking, and then out of nowhere, my friend, I'll, I'll call him Seth, he said to me, hey, you know, I know you and the other white guys in the band, you, you call us the N-word when we're not around. And how that hit you probably right now is how it hit me in that moment. I was a little shocked, a little offended, to be honest, incredibly defensive, First, because as far as I knew it to be true, it was not true. But second, because this was one of the first times in five to six years that I had dealt pretty clearly with the fact that I was white and Seth was black. In fact, he was one of two or three uh, black men that were in our band. And pretty much for the whole time, I mean, don't get me wrong, I'd always known, but I thought the correct approach to that was, well, there's no difference, man. I'm colorblind. I don't, see any, I don't see any difference between us. It had never occurred to me until that moment that maybe there was something between us that I had not seen. So I immediately become defensive. Like I said, I was a little offended. And so I just said, no, man, that's wrong. I don't know where you're getting this from. I don't know where your ideas are coming from, but you're just wrong. This isn't true. I've never known anyone to do this behind your back. I don't know, I don't know any of this stuff. And he just kept saying, well, look, man, I know how it is. I'm not even angry about it. I just want you to say it. I just want you to say that that's what's going on. And in that moment, there's just this little bit of a divide between us. And I kept getting more frustrated. Is he calling me a racist? Well, does he think this way about me? I mean, sure, we've been friends. And I mean, you know, we've been friends since seventh grade. So you joke and sure, some jokes probably crossed the line. But I never thought he would think anything malicious was between us. And we didn't resolve anything. I dropped him off at his house, and we stayed friends. There was never, like, any kind of big blow-up. We stayed friends until graduation, you know, and everyone goes their separate ways at graduation. It wasn't anything about this, but 
from that moment on, at least from my perception now, there's this unspoken thing between us that I had never seen before. And this is what I think happens for many of us whenever anybody brings up the conversation of race or racism, especially if you're white. Because for the majority of my life, majority of many of our lives, we've had the privilege of not having to think very much about my skin color. I have never had to think much about what other people might think of me because of my skin color, because of ideas they had in their head about me. My entire life I've been privileged where every environment I was in, even church, everyone on the band, everyone in authority over me, they looked just like me. But for Seth, that was not the case for him. This unspoken thing that suddenly I became aware of, it had always been a thing for him. It had always been a thing that he was aware of everywhere he was. And it took me way too long, embarrassingly long, past the point that we had lost contact for me to even think back on this conversation and realize how poorly I had handled it. Instead of listening, instead of leaning in, trying to figure out what experience had he had that had convinced him, as he had told me. I know, I know you would never say it around me, but I know what all the white guys on the team do when I'm not around. What would lead him, what experience had, had him in that place? All I could focus on was what he thought of me, and so I couldn't stop to listen. I couldn't ever stop to ask questions. And there was always this now unspoken thing. And here's the truth. Neither of us had created it. Whatever experiences he had had, they were not a reflection necessarily on me. It was not something we had created that was between us. It had existed long before any of us were ever born. And that's true for all of us in this room. The racial inequality, injustice, history of our country, none of us created it. But it's here. And we sense it. And we feel it. And it's these unspoken things that's between us. But for those of us who have the privilege to ignore that and not have to think about it, primarily those of us who are white, and often we have a privilege that allows us to ignore it, or we have guilt that makes us want to ignore it. For believers, this is not something we can do any longer. And the reason we're bringing this up is because this is what Paul has been talking about for about a chapter and a half now. That what God is doing, what God has done through Jesus on the cross, it did not only reconcile us to God, it reconciled people who are vastly different from one another, who have all these unspoken, as Jason referred to Paul's teaching last week, these walls of hostility that are between us that we don't even have to name, everyone just kind of feels them. That through Jesus' death on the cross, those things have been broken down. God is not only reconciling people to himself, he is reconciling all kinds of people into one family. And a couple weeks ago, Ed, if you remember, he talked about how sin, these walls of hostility, it is more than just personal choices. It is more than just your personal wrongdoing. Sin is a force that is at work in our world. The writers of the New Testament talk about sin really in three ways. They refer to it as the flesh the world, 
and the devil. So whenever you're reading in the New Testament, you hear them refer to the, the, the flesh and its desires or the way of the world or the devil. It's really trying to describe this idea of this evil that is at work in our world. The flesh is our personal sins and temptations. It's the way that sin gets somehow trapped up in my habits and my ideas, the way I interact with people. When it comes to racism, this is our personal prejudices the stereotypes that we carry around, the experiences that we have that we use to justify our detaste for other people who are different than us. It's what causes a friend of mine who's a pastor, and he was, I went to his church one Sunday, and he was talking on race and racism, and he's a white man, and he had adopted a, a, a child who they call it transracial adoption. I know this because I went through the same process. And it's when you adopt someone who is ethnically different from you. And he talked about how when he went through that, and my wife and I went through this, you sit with a counselor and they try to help you root all of this out that is hidden within you that you may not even see. And one of the questions they asked was, they said, well, because now you're adopting a black son in your family, you're, you're, he, and you have two white daughters, he may be more interested as he gets older in bringing home girls to date and marrying someone who's white. Is that a problem for you? He goes, no, that's not a problem for me. If my son wants to date and marry white girls, that's not a problem for me at all. And then they said, okay. But because you're now raising a black son, your white daughters may want to date and bring home and marry black men. Is that a problem for you? And he paused. And he said, in that pause, he had to deal with himself. What is it that caused that pause? He jumped to him and said, oh no, of course, of course. But he said, in that moment, I had to deal with what is that thing in me that made me pause? It's this unspoken thing. It's this unspoken thing in our hearts. But sin is bigger than our personal wrongdoings. It's bigger than the pers personal ways we sin. When it comes to racism, it's also the ways that it gets trapped up in our world. The flesh, the world. That we have systems, we have laws, we have cultures, that human beings who all have their own personal sins, they get together and they establish governments and they establish laws and ways of living, and sin gets trapped up in that too. And racism gets trapped up in that too. It's why in, in my family, two of my daughters are statistically three times to five times more likely to die in childbirth than their lighter-skinned sisters. No matter where you live in this country, no matter how much money you make, three to five times more likely to die in childbirth. What causes that? Can you point to it and say, well, that's where the racism is? Can you point to it and say, that's where the evil is? It's this unspoken thing. It gets trapped up in our cultures. But sin is bigger than our personal sin. It's bigger than the world. There's a third part of the power of sin. And that's the devil. Jesus referred to him as the Satan or the accuser or the father of lies. He's the one who divides. He is a personal force of evil that is active in our world to bring about the destruction of human beings and society. It's what Paul is addressing right here in Ephesians. He's saying there is a spiritual force that is at work against us. There is an unspoken thing that is between human beings, and it's at work in our communities, and it's at work in our laws and our systems. It's why by the end of this letter, Paul will say, you and I do not fight against flesh and blood. We fight against 
powers and principalities of the unseen world. There is a spiritual enemy at work to divide human beings, to steal and kill and destroy every good thing God brings into our world. And I know if you're not sure you believe all we do, that sounds really weird and maybe even a little old-fashioned and outdated to believe in. But it is really important that you understand this if you are a believer. Because this is what Paul keeps addressing again and again in his letter to the Ephesians. It's what all of us have seen in our world again and again. It's, it's why, no matter how far it seems our country seems to go, this sin of racism keeps popping up again and again and again. And we said, we thought we dealt with that. We thought that was over with. Why do people keep bringing it up? Because there's this unspoken thing that's between us. It's no, no matter how many personal friendships you have, no matter how much personal work you've done on yourself, there still seems to be in our world this unspoken thing. And it's not just in our world. It's not just in ourselves. This unspoken thing pops up in our church. At the beginning of the pandemic, just after we had started back in-person services, there were about 12 to 15 kids in our, in our children's ministry, and eight of them had the last name Martin. So... <laughs> One day, I was around that time, I was riding in the car with one of my daughters. And she just said in the back, Hey, Daddy, is it okay for black people to follow Jesus too? And I was shocked again. And the only thing I could think is, I gotta stop riding in cars with people. How do I keep getting in these conversations? And so I said to her, well, why, why do you say that? And she goes, well, at church, all the other kids and all of my teachers, they look like you. And they don't look like me. And I didn't know. Is it okay for little black girls to follow Jesus? And it broke my heart because I knew what she was actually asking me was, does Jesus love little black girls? Does Jesus love girls like me? And it doesn't matter how many times I sing Jesus loves me to her bed every night. It doesn't matter how much talk we do about God loving. It doesn't matter how many Bible stories she hears. There is this unspoken thing. And it exists. And I love that as a church, and especially if you go to our children's ministry, we are growing in diversity. And we are especially, our children's ministry becoming so ethnically diverse because the reason I love that is when that happens, we look so much more like the kingdom of God. The church is supposed to be this image of God's family of people from every nation, every language, every skin tone, every hair texture. But we need to know, and I, you need to know, diversity is not enough. Justice is what matters. Family devotion is what matters. The church devotion, unity is what matters. And that is a spiritual issue. And so we must treat it like it is a spiritual issue. And so before we move on, I've asked Steve to come out and lead us in a prayer for God to protect and guide our church as we move forward with unity and diversity. Let's do that now.
Fannie Lou Hamer, the famous, famous civil rights activist and voting activist, uh, once quoted Paul's letter to the Ephesians when she was describing the problem of racism in our country. And she said that these are not just political or personal problems, but they're spiritual in nature. And this isn't to say that there isn't work to be done in our laws or in our government or in our personal lives, but it is to say that the problem is bigger than human activity. We're, we're not at war with one another, but with spiritual forces that long to divide us. And so today, we're just going to take some time to pray that God would strengthen us against the work of the enemy in our lives and in our world. And I know that, again, as we've said about many things in our service today, I know that this really may seem strange to you, especially if you don't believe all that we do. But uh, please know that we're, we're, again, not asking you to fake anything uh, or to make anything uncomfortable for you. But, you know, for followers of Jesus, we've just been called to, to stand against the spiritual forces of hate and injustice and sin in our world. And so to begin our time of prayer, let's read the words of Paul uh, that Fannie Lou Hamer quoted out loud together. And when you see the words in bold, would you read those out loud with me? Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And so would you take a moment now just to ask God to push back the powers of darkness in our world, would you pray that the powers of racism and hatred and evil in our country and in our world would just be defeated so that God's will could be done? Let's take a few moments to pray about that. And now would you pray that God would protect his church from the influence of these spiritual forces? Would you pray that God would protect us from the division that the evil one wants to cause within us? Take a moment to pray about that. And finally, ask God to protect you personally from the schemes of the evil one. Pray that God would root out any judgment or hatred or divisiveness or divisive thoughts from your soul so that you may love everyone just as Jesus has loved you. Heavenly Father, we pray that your kingdom would come and that the powers of sin and evil would be defeated. We 
pray for the evils of racism and injustice to be just rooted out in our country and wherever it is taken root in our own hearts. Bring your justice to our world. Unite your church in love. Keep us from being polluted by the schemes of the evil one. May your will be done. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. In Paul's letter to the church in Ephesus, he pauses to speak to the Gentile Christians. Now, we've said in previous weeks that the word for Gentiles is also the word for ethnicities. Paul is speaking to everyone who is not ethnically Jewish, and he says, in reading this, then you will be able to understand my insight into the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to people in other generations, as it has been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. Now, this sounds like a big deal, the mystery of Christ. We all want to know the mystery of Christ, right? Even if you've been following Jesus your whole life. And so Paul says, I want to reveal to you the mystery of Christ. What is it? He says, the mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body and sharers together in the promise of Jesus Christ. This is what Jason talked about last week. Through Jesus, God has adopted people from every ethnicity, language, and nation into the same family, a family that matters more than any other family on earth. And Paul says, this is the mystery of Christ. It's a mystery to the outside world, people who still live under the power of the flesh, the world, and the devil. It's a mystery that this unspoken thing between people can just be gone that black and white and Latin and Asian and indigenous Christians can truly call each other brother and sister and be willing to lay down their lives for one another. And in case this still doesn't hit you hard, look at what Paul says next. His intent was that now through the church, the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms according to his eternal purpose that he accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. Did you notice who God was making his wisdom known to? The rulers and authorities in heavenly realms, meaning to spiritual beings. This includes all the angels and heavenly beings around God's throne, but it also includes the powers and principalities that Paul will later say we are at war against. Remember, our spiritual enemy, the Satan, has only one goal, to divide humanity from one another and from God and from ourselves. He wants to watch us destroy ourselves and destroy the work of God in our world. And Paul is saying that through the unity of the church, through the ministry of people being reconciled, not only to their heavenly father, but to other humans they were once divided against, through this kind of church, God is showing his power and wisdom to our spiritual enemy. It is through a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, former enemies, now brothers and sisters kind of church that the powers of darkness get pushed back. Because notice this, Paul refers to the wisdom of God as the manifold wisdom of God. This word for manifold in the original Greek language meant multicolored, through the church, God is revealing his multicolored wisdom. Now, how could that be an accident? In the ancient world, cloth was expensive. 
and having multiple colored cloth was considered a luxury. And so Paul is painting this picture of God weaving together a beautiful multicolored cloth or shirt or blanket from all of these various colors. And it's become something so extravagant, you can't help but show it off. Paul is saying through the church, God is showing off to the enemy. He is boasting, he's gloating through his church through the people of every culture and color and nation, bringing their unique beauty and experience to the church, God is knitting us together into something that he can boast about. Through the church, God is reveling in his victory over the enemy. Satan longs to divide us, to destroy us, to keep this unspoken thing between us. But through the multicolored, multi-ethnic church of God, God is showing off and the powers of this world and the unseen world cower in fear because the glory of God shines brighter than the darkness of sin, evil, and racism. So may God get the glory through his church now and forever, amen. So what would it look for us as a church to display God's manifold wisdom? I mean, could you just imagine that for a moment? Just imagine how beautiful it could be. If when you walked into this room on a Sunday morning, you saw a sea of different skin tones embracing one another in love. If you stood in our lobby and you heard the name of Jesus, but it was in all different languages, all different kind of languages. If children in our church not only had friends of every ethnicity, but we're all able to be taught and led by someone who looked just like them so they knew. People just like me love Jesus. So I can too. When someone from another country left behind their family and everyone they had ever known to move to our county and they didn't know where to meet anyone, they didn't know where to get help, what was just the common refrain among people in our community is go to Community Christian. They have people from all places all different walks of life there. They will love you. They will help you find a new kind of family. Wouldn't that be the most beautiful thing that we could display in our increasingly divided world? Is that not something that would show the supernatural power of God at work in human beings' lives more than just what we say that we believe? There are a lot of practical things that go into making this happen, and that tends to be where everyone in our world wants to go to. It's you got to make personal change, or you got to make some kind of big systemic change. And all of those changes have to happen, of course. But in the church, we have to know more than anyone else, this is a spiritual problem. This is a spiritual evil and injustice that is at work in our world. We are not fighting against flesh and blood. This is not primarily a, a battle of having better ideas. This is not primarily an idea of making the right changes at the right time. This is a spiritual battle. Which is why after basically spending a chapter and a half talking about racial and ethnic and religious unity within the church, Paul ends by saying this. He says, For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. And he means people from every nation and language and tongue. 
Because of this mystery of Christ, the people from every nation, every ethnicity, every language coming together as brothers and sisters in Christ, because of this, I have to kneel before our Heavenly Father because I'm so overwhelmed. This problem is too big for me to handle, so I must kneel. Because Paul knows this is a spiritual problem that needs a spiritual solution. We need the power of God if the manifold wisdom, the multicolored wisdom of God will ever be put on display in order to accomplish, what did he say? The eternal purposes of Christ Jesus, our Lord. We cannot do this on our own. So I think the first step for all of us on this is we have to pray. Is that a daily practice for you? Not that you would pray for yourself and everyone in your family and people you know, but you would pray for our church that you would join together with God and other believers in our church and say, I just want to pray that our church would be a faithful witness to this kind of kingdom in our world, that whatever could divide us couldn't even stand because we are so united in our love for Jesus. Paul says, I've got to kneel before God. He has to get into this posture of prayer that is just utter dependence. We sang that earlier. I depend on you. And that is not just for you to personally get through the day without little bits of anxiety. I depend on you because the evil in this world is greater than me, but it is not greater than him. And so I depend on him. I depend on him for all things. He's begging the Father, we need your help. How often are we praying for the power of God to be at work in our church? Then Paul says this, he tells us what he's praying for. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Ed already mentioned a couple weeks ago that the word you in Greek often just gets translated in English because we don't have uh, two different words for you. We use the same word you to be both singular and plural. And if some of y'all remember this, he said that the Greeks actually had multiple words for you and they had their own word for a singular you, but they also had a group grouping of people that was also you. It was a different one. So when we translate in English, it gets very difficult to understand this. But we Southerners do not have this problem. And you, are, you, you, you get this, right? Because we don't only have a you, we got a plural form of you. And some of y'all already know what I'm talking about, right? <laughs> Let's all say it together. All y'all, you know it. That's what it is. You didn't know that Paul rooted for you, GA, but he did. <laughs> and he was always, and most of the time in the New Testament, most of the time in the New Testament, not every time, but the majority of times when Paul is writing a letter or Peter is writing a letter to a church, the, when you see the word you in there, it is most often y'all. He is not saying you personally need to go figure this out. He's saying, all y'all got to get this. And so for us to really get kind of an understanding of what this is, uh, I'm going to use our Southern translation. I call this our Bubba translation. Um, we're going to read out of the Bubba translation. I want you all to read this out loud with me. And we're gonna, I just want you to get it real clear in your head, all right? So here we go. So you, everyone's going to read all this together, all right? All y'all going to do it. Here we go. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen all y'all with power through his spirit in all y'all's inner being, so that Christ may dwell in all y'all's hearts through faith. Amen. Now, I know that feels silly, but I wanted to, to get into all y'all here. This is not Paul praying that you personally, this is often how it gets translated, that you personally would have some deep insight in your quiet time with Jesus. 
This is not Paul saying that you personally would just know God's love. Of course, that has to happen. But the prayer here is that all of y'all, that all of us would have this deep experience, this knowledge, this knowledge that goes beyond head knowledge, that it gets deep within all of us, that it begins to form our identity as a community. The prayer of Paul is this all y'all, Paul's all y'all kind of prayer. Paul is saying the way that the manifold wisdom of God can be seen is that a diverse group of people who were enemies, who had all these unspoken things between one another, and it just became uncomfortable to talk about, and it became uncomfortable to be together. They chose to say, we're going to be united as brothers and sisters in Christ. I will not stay siloed off by myself and people who look just like me. We will be united in love and call one another brother and sister. We would lay down our lives for one another, and that the only way that that would even begin to be possible is if all of us chose, I'm going to be strengthened by the Spirit of God to make this happen. It is about the power of God knitting us together in love for one another, and that cannot be accomplished through human action. And I'm serious. Have you ever tried to love someone? I mean, you've loved people, but you didn't have to try. And the moment you had somebody in your family that you had to try to love, come on. It felt impossible, didn't it? It's the power of God at work that somehow seems to make people that you might have to try to love, that you might have to have uncomfortable conversations with, that you may have to give up some of your rights and privileges for. You're going to need something more than trying to make that happen. You're going to need the power of the Spirit. It must be an act of God that you and I, we submit to. We say, God, you get to have your way, not me my way. We have to continually choose to allow God's Spirit to strengthen each of us in our inner being so that Christ can dwell with us, that he may abide with us and unite us in love. Then Paul continues, he says, and I pray that you, but remember, that's y'all, I pray that y'all being rooted and established in love may have power together with all the Lord's holy people. He means people all over the world who don't even look like you and you'll never meet to grasp how wide and how long and how high and deep is the love of Christ to know this love that surpasses knowledge that all y'all may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. The way that we together are filled to the measure of the fullness of God. The way we push back the evils of racism and injustice. The way we all can know, and not just know it up here, but know it in here. And experience it, the love of God that surpasses all knowledges. We have to live it out together. It does not happen through some personal revelation. It will happen with all of us together doing this. I will know the love of God in a way that is not just personal intellectual knowledge when I've experienced it within the body of Christ, when God has empowered other human beings to love and to serve me. I will know the manifold wisdom, the multicolored wisdom of God when I truly can call someone who is nothing like me, brother or sister, when I can share my resources with them, when I can share meals with them, when I can share laughter with them, when I can lay down my, my wants and I can serve them. Then I will know how wide and long and high and deep the love of Christ is. I know so many believers and I get these questions all the time. Of, well, how do you have some kind of like 
just knowledge of God? How do you just have this personal moment with God? What's the devotional I need to do? What's the, what's the book of the Bible I need to read? What's the, th- the prayer I need to pray so that I can experience God's love better? I say, the way you experience God's love better is you find someone you don't like and you love them. Well, I don't know how to do that. Exactly. Exactly. You might actually have to have the power of God to do that. You may actually have to do something you wouldn't normally do. You may have to apologize to somebody. You may have to forgive somebody. You may have to have a tough conversation. You may have to serve someone in some kind of way. And then somehow through doing this, you would be rooted and established in the love of God. And you would be able to know how deeply God loves you because you know what it has been to be loved by someone else. You will know it. See, Paul's prayer here is that through the church, God would reveal his manifold wisdom when ordinary people choose to embrace and lay down their lives for people who are completely different than them. And this is only power. This is only possible through the power and the love of God, which is why Paul ends his prayer by saying, now to him who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power at work within you personally, Mm-mm. within us within his power that is at work within us to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever amen we may not be able to see or to imagine how God could possibly transform our little church here into a multicolored, multi-ethnic picture of his manifold wisdom to the world. We may not be able to imagine how the justice of God can come to our country that just seems so broken. But Christ can do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to his power, not that is at work within you or at work within me, but at work within us. So to him... Be the glory in the church, in all of y'all, in us. And may Christ Jesus get the glory through all generations forever and ever. And all God's people said, amen and amen. And I know this is what I long for. This is, this is what just fills my heart with such joy to just imagine. And I think it's what we all long for. That God's love, that his wisdom would be evident in how we love one another. But this only happens when we join together. This is why this cannot be your only experience of church. Your only experience of church can't just be, what personal thing am I taking away from the service today? What work do I need to do? This can't be just, what do I, what kind of revelation, what experience did I have with God today? That the Spirit of God is moving us in His love towards one another. And so it's why we say, if you haven't yet, you need to go to the Next Step Center. You need to take a step into community. You need to take the chance that you're going to take a step towards people who may look nothing like you, who may have grown up nothing like you. And to say, I want to be in relationship with you. I want to be brothers and sisters with you. Would you sign up for our next steps class? Would you say, hey, I don't know all the answers, but I'm willing to just investigate it. Or if you have stopped serving, or you stopped doing small group, or you've never done that, but you've been around here for 10 years and you've never done any of that, would you consider today, I'm gonna go to the next step center. I'm gonna talk to somebody today. I'm gonna take a step today towards community. Because we've been saying this while, I don't know exactly what God's plans are for our church. It'd be way more compelling if I could tell you. 
What I do know is wherever he leads us, he's leading us there together. And we need everybody from every nation, every skin color, every ethnicity to join together and say, I will do my part. I will do my part. Because there's no amount of voting that's going to make this happen. And there is no amount of personal work you're going to do on yourself that is going to make this unspoken thing between people just get fixed. It is only the love of God, the power of God that is at work through his church that the church would be the healing place, the beginning where the healing of God spreads to the world. It only happens with us together. So get involved. But before we end our time together, we're going to come together to the table of communion, the table of Jesus where all are welcome. I've asked Steve to come out and lead us in that time.